0: Steve, how's it going this Monday morning? Uh, Really good, man, sitting uh, upstairs in my house, staring out the window, watching it snow. Got like four inches yesterday here at the house, so spent all day in the yard yesterday, building snowmen and sledding down the hill, and uh, got uh, snuck out for a hike with my dog, and got to kind of playing with some frame concept ideas for down the road future, and um, yeah, got to test that out, and yeah, things are good. Nice, man.
1: If you hike in the snow again today, I would say wear technicas just to make it extra hard and like make oh. <laughs> it a solid workout.
0: Uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, I did wear those, those Hanvog Overstones and, um, I really like them. They have that, like the only thing I'm going to be picky about them is they have, you know, what they call like a climbing toe to it. And I, you'll see that on a lot of boots where it's like a one inch, just flat piece of rubber out on the, the, basically the kind of tip of the, the toe, um, on the on the sole side on the bottom and you know it's i think a, if you are like in rocks all the time it makes some sense but um man it's yeah you just like when i roll up off the ball your foot onto that you can just literally feel it slip you know mm-hmm. um and it's it's just yeah it drives me nuts that they include those in a lot of boot designs because it's yeah i guess maybe in italy when they're hiking on the the dolomite mountains or whatever they call them that Maybe that stuff makes sense, but as a Western guy, it's
1: definitely not practical. Yeah, you just don't feel like the carryovers there. No, yeah. Right.
0: But other than that, they felt great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, cool. Well, speaking of geeking out on gear, we were going to, on this Monday Minute, talk about our gear of the year picks, which is something we've done the last couple years on the podcast. We actually probably somewhat wisely realized it was going to be longer than a Monday Minute if we have that discussion. So just a heads up, we're going to do that. This week is a full podcast episode on Wednesday, so look for that if you're interested. Uh, On this one, we'll just hit some listener questions, uh, as we often do on the Monday Minute episodes. Um, And first one, the timely one that came up, which is great, is basically this guy was just asking about maintenance for your backcountry gear, such as shelter, sleep system, weapon, optics, etc. And how do you care for those items going into the off season? Um, so, you know, you get into this time of year, some guys are finished hunting a lot of guys are wrapping things up here over the next month or two, and, uh, you might not be digging that gear out till spring. So what are some tips or just things you do, Steve, uh, for that kind of off season, those few months where things are call it in storage, if you will.
0: Um, yeah, not, I mean, I think you can do a lot or almost next to nothing and, and be just fine when you go to pull your gear out next year. I, I definitely like to make sure, you know, things are clean. It's, it's obviously it's like fairly common to roll up your tent on the last day of a hunt and it's soaking wet and there's dirt and pine needles stuck in there. Uh, and then you just, when you get home, you never take the time to to roll it out get all that crap out of there and let it properly dry out. So that, that one would be important. Like definitely, definitely don't just like have it soaking wet and throw it in the corner of your garage. And cause it'll kind of get all moldy and nasty that next time you go roll that out, um, sleeping bags, you know, you, if you have a, um, a front loading washing machine, one that doesn't have that kind of agitator, um, post in the middle of it, you can wash your sleeping bag. Um, I, I probably wash mine once a year, I'd say. Uh, and then you kind of, I do a combination of air dry and then also, put it in the dryer with no heat on uh there are no heat setting and then put some tennis balls in there to kind of uh, break up the down clumps um and then when you go to put your down bag away you just don't want it compressed right like i try to uh it, you know a lot of them come with just these big kind of canvas stuff sacks uh typically that's what i use just kind of throw it in there and and then just make sure it's like sitting on top of Uh, I have an extra closet and an extra bedroom here where I put all that stuff and it's just kind of sitting on top. So there's not weight on top of it, compressing the down. Uh, I mean, optics. Yeah. I mean, if you want to clean them, go ahead. But, you know, whether you do it now or later, I don't see there being a downside to that. Um, And then, yeah, just kind of invent. I'll definitely at some point, uh, I haven't done it yet, but just kind of inventory my gear. There's stuff that's consumable. I probably need to throw out and reorganize things and then put it away. And, you know, fortunately there's still, um you know it doesn't seem like there's too long like we'll be doing our death hike here next uh february march So i'll be busting that stuff back out to go backpacking overnight and um yeah fortunately it's not like a it's not going to sit there for me at least until you know it's like a year away before it gets used again so yeah yeah um i guess and probably i'm not an expert on this but just boot care i think it's probably important to to get those cleaned up good and then like re-oiled or or um uh, you know, reapply the uh, DWR stuff to it to make sure that the leather doesn't dry and crack out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for leather boots, I've been doing this for ever. I bought this one little jar of it's called Obenoffs, and it's kind of like a waxy type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I bet I bought a jar of that eight years ago. Um, and I use that stuff for leather boots specifically. And you, the best way to do it is just take like a hairdryer and kind of heat up because when the wax is not warm, it's kind of too hard um but if you heat it up with a hair dryer and then just kind of rub it into leather boots you obviously want to like clean them of dirt first and then you can even take a hair dryer and just lightly hit the boots and it basically helps it soak in but that stuff's fantastic just as a random tip for leather boots specifically um i don't do it man i haven't thinking about it i haven't done anything on my synthetic boots in terms of like the sprays and things like that
0: yeah neither have i So, uh, Oh, big, I guess I skipped over a huge one there on your pack. (laughs) If you killed an animal, if your pack is bloody, uh, definitely get that thing cleaned up and get it and get it hung up. We, I mean, yeah, as far as like RMA warranties that come back to us, nine out of 10 of them are because of animals chewing them up with blood crusted on them. Um, whether that's a mouse, a dog, you know, any type of rodents, um, yeah, I definitely get that thing cleaned up. Just get, you know, cold water, spray it on there, kind of hand wash with some some soap and and let that thing air dry. Um
1: and just yeah, get that blood off there so stuff's not chewing on it all day yeah and same for food we've had plenty of guys like oh yeah. i didn't realize i left you know this ziploc of whatever in this bottom crevice of my pack and then some rodent you know got into it or what have you so
0: yeah it's it's amazing how many i mean it's this is one of the of most year, common things yeah
1: it's literally like two or
0: three packs a week come back to us and guys are just distraught about it because it's they just chew all the straps and chew holes in the fabric and yeah uh, you know it's it's just a crappy deal and we do our best to to work with guys and like, you know, if we can repair it, repair it for as, as, you know, affordable as we can, or sometimes we just offer to sell, like, you know, especially with the K3 stuff, I, I designed that very, um, in kind of components, you know, your lower, your frame upper, the harness is split, the belt is split. Um, so it's kind of easier for us to, um, kind of, you know, get you a, a side of the belt or a harness or a lower, um, and, and help you get back on your feet without having to spend yeah. too much money. So yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah, that's good. Good tips in there. I mean, it from a super high level, it basically just comes down to like clean and dry are the two most important things, regardless of of what you're talking about. Um, and then as you kind of hit with, and that's what I try to do as much as possible is not wait until the end of the year to do this stuff, but just do it after every trip. Um, you know, you don't. I don't feel like I have to do this off season process simply because after each trip, I'm trying to make sure. I set up a shelter and let it dry out and then, you know, clean it and same for my pack and same for my boots and all that stuff. So if you stay on top of it after a trip, um, when you get back, then you don't really have to do much. And for the quote unquote off season. Um, and then like you said, Steve on the consumables, that's a really good one. And just find a place to keep notes. Um, you know, at the end of the year here, you might go through stuff and then think to yourself, Oh man, I my water filter was, you know, just clogged up. It's mm. time for a new water filter, you know, next year. Right. But then you forget about that. And then you go on the first trip next spring and you're like, Oh crap, I need a new water filter. You know, you may or may not yeah. remember those things. So you can just have like a quick little place to keep notes um, on what you need or what needs to be done, uh, what new gear you need for the spring, especially those small items. And that's going to be really helpful just to make sure you don't forget. Yeah. I, I, I do that in some form. It kind of varies
0: every year, but basically my hunting gear list, I've got multiple ones depending on like cold weather, um, you know, uh, regular hunting. I did like a sheep hunt gear list from this last year um, and all uh, this. It's in a Google doc. And so I'll just go in and kind of like put, add some notes in there of like um, I've done this a lot on like the, all the Alaska trips where you get back from the trip and like I wish I had this, I didn't need this and just make those notes in there um that way yeah like you just said you, you come back the next time and you go oh yeah i totally forgot about that so
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah another just random one um that's kind of specific is anything with a valve sleeping pad and inflatable pillows are the th- two things that come to mind is just keep those open um just so there is I don't want to call it airflow, right? Because it's not really airflow, but you just don't want to trap moisture. You want to make sure, again, going back to keeping things clean and dry, that that stuff starts as dry as possible. Um, but even specifically, keep valves open so that if there is any moisture over time in storage, it can kind of evaporate, if you will. But I've run into that. For example, um, I had one of those Sea to Summit inflatable pillows for three to four years, and then all of a sudden it wasn't holding air. And there's basically a plastic bladder inside of the pillow um, that had a hole in it. And C2 Summit basically told me like most likely it just deteriorated um, from trapped moisture, keeping the valve closed during storage. Um, and they they replaced it. They were great about it, but that was just kind of a, a very specific thing that now, because of that, I pay attention to it. So on sleeping pads and things like that, just keep valves open for air. Um, yeah, good stuff there. Hopefully you guys, uh, as we were saying, don't have to put gear away for too long you know hopefully it's not a six month ordeal but like a two month at the most and find some ways that even this winter even if you don't have a open hunting season you can get out and do some winter backpacking or something like that so many guys overlook that time of year but man there's there's great opportunities to get outside and enjoy it for sure all right steve let's hit on another timely question that came up after our uh, recent rifle elk hunt uh, it says, now that you guys have had the successful rifle elk hunt, how do you feel about hunting elk with a bow versus a rifle? And in general, since you guys have gotten more serious about rifles over the past few years, how do you feel about hunting with a bow versus a rifle in general?
0: <laughs> it's funny. I just had this, uh, with Cody, uh, Cody Callum from Born and Raised, a very good friend of mine, and he, he had just killed a blacktail with a gun. Um, and, uh sent me a picture of it and was just talking about how fun, you know, he's been enjoying or uh, how much he's been enjoying hunting with a rifle. And I was like, dude, I'm hundred percent on board. Like it's been, it's a, I think I re- my reply was um, like, I'm not sure if it's this much fun cause it's just like the cool new thing to do for me. Like it's a new challenge or if it's going to continue to be this much fun for the future, but definitely at the moment I am really enjoying it. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I've been surprised at it's, you know, you know killing i don't know i mean when we killed your bull like i mean it was 100 yards it was close but i mean the the adrenaline was comparable to if that bull was coming in you know and you, and you had a bow in hand and we're gonna shoot him um you know it was like i don't know i mean every it's definitely nothing can quite replicate like a bugling bull screaming coming in at you um but uh it's still been just really having a, a, lo- a lot of fun with it. And it's been a nice challenge to just pick up and learn something new. Cause you know, just a few years ago I was about as green as it could be when it came to rifles. Uh, you know, other than just knowing the basics is just something I had never gotten into, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. Um, I don't think that one's better than the other. I never did. Um, but I've oh, through. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bow hunting snob. Well, I, I would say, like, it, not necessarily because the weapon, but more of what you said of, like, the experience, Steve, of yeah. the close encounter. Um, yeah. So if you can replicate that, like, to me, there's no doubt that hunting elk in September is, like, the pinnacle of what I want to do, right? And that yeah. happens to 99% of the time be with a bow in my hand, right? And I love shooting a bow. Uh, you know, I did that like thinking back through, you know, when I was doing some adventure of like being self-taught and learning new things and trying things and getting in, into all the technical aspects. And in a way that's where I have been for a year or two years on a rifle and where I still am now in terms of just diving deeper than I ever have. Um, but yeah, it's the experience it's getting close. Um, it's having, you know, in the case of elk, like screaming elk, which As you just said, like, I feel like we got that experience on, you know, the way we killed my bull with the rifle, for example. So it's, yeah, it's the experience for me more than the weapon. But, um, yeah, I just, to me, it comes down to like just opportunities, right? So if, if I have an opportunity to get in, uh, to a hunting situation in a different time of year or extend my season or what have you, like, regardless of what that weapon is, um, I'm interested. So Um, and then, you know, I think there's, for me, um, there's the hunting aspect of it and then there's like the hobby aspect of it, right? Like what you just said about the learning and what I've been going through with, you know, in the last year with reloading and all that, like it's full on what my kind of outlet has been aside from hunting. Uh, and like working and family like that's just been something that I've just enjoyed right the process and learning about it and doing it and trying different things and all that so it, it definitely has been um, prevalent for sure in terms of mm-hmm. something that I've been pursuing um, yeah it you know one of the things um, we did a big survey last year about this time of year with the podcast um, to get feedback from you guys about what you wanted to hear about and it was you know it was like we want your feedback on elk hunting and on deer hunting and other species. We want your, like, what do you want to hear about in terms of bows or in terms of rifles? And we had like these specific categories. And it was funny because within that feedback of what do you want to hear about or learn about as it relates to bow hunting? And then a separate question, the same thing. What do you want to, you know, learn about, hear about in terms of hunting with a rifle? There's so many in those two different categories. There's so many guys who said, I don't care. or It's not applicable. Like there's these guys who are very strictly mm. in a rifle camp mm-hmm. and not, not even necessarily to say that they think rifle hunting's better. They just don't bow hunt, which is great. That's fine. And then there's other guys who strictly bow hunt or would identify as bow hunters or primarily bow hunters who are like, yeah, rifles, you know, I'm not interested. Right. Yeah. Um. And so it is funny how there's like, very much can be divides uh in terms of hunters and then there's like guys who i think like you and i steve it's like we just doesn't not that it doesn't matter but we'll we'll take them both right yeah <laughs> yeah it's a prior to four
0: years ago that was me like i could care less about rifles like uh you know i'd gone a shot show for quite a few years just down there to like with sns archery looking at products and anyway it was just all the rifle stuff i just glazed right over i just had no interest in it i was a bow hunter um you know and and i just thought rifle hunting was probably too easy uh and um yeah i don't know i had no interest in it but then they said it's come full circle now and i'm having a blast with it so yeah i've definitely uh, been fun to like uh i don't know i I guess it just for me it's the challenge it's it's learning something new and not necessarily mastering it but getting very familiar and competent with it so
1: yeah I've, i've even had the thought of like and you know we've obviously had rifle specific podcasts uh and we will in the future but even so that things aren't completely overwhelming just like kind of to scratch my own itch and some of the topics i want to explore in conversations i want to have like maybe we should throw out like a instead of the monday minute have like a firearms friday on certain oh. <laughs> you know for like a certain period of time right yeah. for like these three months we're gonna have episodes on friday that are more specific on rifles um and if that's not your thing great like don't tune in on fridays but um yeah i don't know that'd be maybe fun to do if you guys want us to do something like that uh and continue to do everything else we have been doing then let us know send us an email uh if there's demand for it then we'll do it um cool there's a question a guy was basically headed into uh deer camp i think this week um i was talking to him and he basically said you know this time of year they're doing a deer camp quite a few guys in camp and then they just don't there's not too much daylight right now that the time has changed it gets dark early so they have a bunch of time on their hands in the evening and they're hoping to fill a bunch of tags so he was asking about uh taking care of meat and camp not just how to keep it cool but like actually getting it uh packaged uh the camp they weren't gonna have power so they weren't gonna do a vac sealer which is what this guy had done in the past um, and he was basically asking about what do you think of using Ziploc freezer bags? Is it any better or equivalent to butcher paper, et cetera? So we just had multiple questions there on packaging meat in camp. Um, I think, you know, all the normal stuff applies in terms of keeping it cool and clean um, before you package it. I think butcher paper um, works incredibly well. Ziploc freezer bags can work well for both of them I would just say to do like a plastic wrap first some sort of like saran wrap because that really helps you get that kind of airtight seal if you will um, is wrapping it in that stretch plastic wrap so whether you're going to do paper and tape it or Ziploc freezer bags do that plastic wrap first uh, before you wrap it or before you put it in Ziploc freezer bags and then when it comes to if you do a Ziploc style bag I would just say don't get super cheap ones, Um, you know, don't get necessarily the off-brand ones or what have you. Like you want to look at the mills, look at the thickness of the bag and get something that's, you know, truly pretty burly and don't go super cheap there. Um, And then another thing, Steve, that, you know, this, I I just never really thought of this, I think until we were like coming home from Alaska, Um, particularly if you're doing Ziploc bags and even if you're vac sealing, is just like not being too hard on that stuff like just don't dump a whole box of meat into the freezer and bang it up because that can actually break it's particularly true with vac sealing that can break um the seals uh on those bags and then let air get in and it gets freezer burnt and all that yeah i made that mistake coming
0: back from kodiak last year if uh we just you know all the meat was frozen we just started chucking it in the boxes just trying to unload it out of the freezer and uh we were in a hurry because i think the plane like all of a sudden was like coming in 30 minutes you know and yeah um and then jerry was like oh don't do that you know you need to be like kind of ginger with it and sure enough like time i got home there was probably 10 packages um that uh, yeah had little had little chips in it and basically uh air started getting in there and you could see the freezer burn over time so yeah um yeah definitely be be cautious with it when it's vacuum sealed so
1: right Um, And then just a final random thing that Steve, I saw you do recently. And I actually picked this up from my wife of all people prior, I think she saw it on Pinterest. So there's something valuable that's come out of Pinterest. (laughs) Um, But she when she was like, if she would buy bulk ground meat and then repackage it, she would use Ziploc freezer bags. And then basically, instead of having this giant ball of ground meat, flatten it out. So if you have like a a pound of meat in like a quart ziploc or however you're gonna package it with vac ceiling, whatever, basically pack it so it's this wide, flat mass instead of a big ball of meat. And A, those stack in the freezer really well. And then B, they defrost much quicker. Um and then recently I was at like, your place, Steve. I saw you doing that too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um first of all, you're failing as a hunter if your wife has to buy ground beef at the store, Mark.
1: Well uh. happens, man.
0: <laughs> um but yeah no uh for sure i think i um uh speaking of buying ground beef uh,
1: <laughs> I, I got i've, to I've eaten i would just want to say steve you have made me tacos with ground beef plenty of times uh, no so i was just mouth. about to elaborate I, <laughs>
0: I didn't kill an elk last year and one of my buddy has some cows and he butchered one so he gave me a bunch of uh of the burger he had from that Uh, And whatever butcher they used, yeah, they, they put them in these, you know, it's a basically a flat rectangle. It was probably an inch and a half thick and, you know, four inches by five inches or something like that. And I just noticed, um, purely like, uh, we've talked, we learned this from, was it Hank Shaw we had on the podcast years ago? Yeah. Yeah. Of how to defrost, uh, thaw out meat was just put it in, in cold water. Um, so I typically just fill up, um, what for whatever reason i've just got a saucepan that's kind of deep like four inches deep and i just put the you know whatever i need to thaw out in there and then just put cold water in it and i noticed that that burger i got from him was like 30 minutes into it it was completely thawed out and good to go um so that was like oh okay i guess this makes sense you're basically creating more surface area for it to thaw out faster and you don't have that you know the center of it isn't so far away from the edges that it, it can thaw faster so um yeah. When I, when I, uh, for my first elk this year, uh, when I vacuum sealed everything, uh, I just, you just, I vacuum sealed it and then I just use my hands and just basically flattened it and flattened it like a pancake. Right. Um, and that stuff, it's maybe 20 minutes. You just throw it in a four inches of cold water and it's thawed out. So super handy for, you know, get home work at five o'clock and by five thirty you could be making hamburgers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Another kind of note I thought about on, as far as packing in camp this, you and I did this with my, um, uh, my elk cause we brought, um, I didn't drop the back straps off at the butcher normally I vacuum seal out myself, but we got home and went to vacuum seal it, excuse me, um, went to vacuum seal it and realized that I didn't have any more vacuum seal bags. I'd used them all on my elk, uh, from September. And we just, instead of trimming the meat, we just let, kind of cleaned the meat up, but just left all the um basically everything on it and just cut the back straps into like eight inch chunks threw them in ziploc bags and threw them in the freezer and even if a little bit of air gets in there over the next month or two before i eat it and kind of gets freezer burn on the edges when i thaw it out i'm still going to just trim all that stuff off anyway so there's really not much harm done so if you're in camp that's something you could you know uh, definitely a tactic you could do is is not trim it up as much as you normally would just knowing that you need to to, and that's going to protect the meat and then you just got to trim it when you thaw it out
1: yeah and a lot of times it can be easier to trim it when that it's in that thawing state because it's firmer um Mm -hmm. you know it comes like being super clean and like Trying to be efficient and trimming and only getting that silver skin off and not cutting deep into the meat um, when that meat's kind of set up and a, a bit more frozen it's actually much easier so sometimes that's not a bad strategy uh, period yep cool well that's a wrap on this monday minute guys as i said uh tune in wednesday we're getting ready to talk here about our gear of the year picks as well as revisit um some of the gear we talked about in prior years and kind of give an update on that Um, so hit subscribe if you haven't already and you'll receive that episode if you have any questions for us for a future podcast just shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon